0: need something original and affordable for mother's day etsy has it shop until may 12th for up to 30 percent off gifts for mom terms apply this is ion veterans weekend a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served presented by university of maryland global campus there are nearly 20 million 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the US. u.s each week we focus on their stories
1: powered by connectingvets.com
0: This This is CBS Ion, Ion Veterans Ion Veterans
1: Welcome to another edition of CBS Ion Veterans I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs Ion Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families We're powered by connectingvets.com always a great place to find military news veteran news resources and stories about the veteran lifestyle We know because we're vets ourselves. Now the service members and veteran will meet this hour are some of the first women warriors to become U.S. Army Rangers. And without sounding cliche or trite, their stories really are about changing the game.
2: My exact response is, Star Major, I like room service. <laughs> and he, he and I kind of went back and forth on it just briefly. And... Like, there's no way. There's plenty of young girls out there that are trying to make their mark in the
3: world. Let them chase this. Especially after 9-11 happened, I felt like, you know, it was just my turn to serve, um, try to give them a little bit of a break. And it seemed like it was, you know, obviously the troops' front lines and the combat roles that needed needed some relief. Um, So that was really what motivated me. When I was 16, 17, looking at what colleges to go to, I was like, you know, I might just try to join the Army.
4: I carried the saw for about three days, and I was like, okay, well, I need somebody to take this for me. And I went to every single person just in a line, no order. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm really tired too, I'm broken. And as soon as I went to Ranger Grice, this was on the, la- the last day of Mountain Phase. She was like, it was com- wanted it from me. She basically took it away from me. And then, so, all nine guys were like, well, I'm too broken, I'm too tired. She, just as broken and tired, took it from me with like almost excitement. So I thought she was crazy for that, but maybe it was, she was just motivated and that's how she is.
3: All of Ranger School, I mean, no, I, didn't, I don't think I ever really wanted to quit. I felt like I tried so hard to get in there for so long that I was kind of lucky to just be there every day. But it was definitely miserable. Like,
2: I would never pick a doctor and say, ooh, I want her to work for me because she's smart for a woman. And because physical fitness and strength is part of our job in the military, I didn't want to be qualified that way. Every once in a while, I can flip my arm around his neck and choke him..
1: Now as we celebrate Women's History Month, we're going to meet some women that have changed perceptions of women in the military. For most veterans, it's hard to imagine women alongside them in combat. While their bravery will always be remembered through jobs like the combat medic and the cultural support, even secret intelligence missions, what our guests today will show is how ceilings are breaking and how playing fields are becoming more level. Captain Kristen M. Greist graduated from West Point back in 2011, and as a second lieutenant, she served in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where she was a military police platoon leader with the 101st Airborne Division. But in 2013, Greist deployed to Afghanistan in support of Operation Enduring Freedom, where she served as a security force platoon leader for eight months. But it was in 2015 that Kristen Greist did something that The U.S. military had never seen before. She joined the ranks of the combat elite. She graduated from one of the toughest training programs in the military and she became a U.S. Army Ranger. And it's with that, I'm pleased to get to know the full story and get to know U.S. Army Captain Kristen Greist. Kristen, how are you? Good, thanks for having me. So glad to have you. And, uh, you know, I'll start and say that. Normally, this is the part of the interview where I do a little service rivalry, you know, because I'm a Navy veteran, your Army, (laughs) I like to do a little bashing. But, uh, you know, considering the tab on your shoulder, I'm not going to do that today. (laughs) Let's start here. Uh, As I read quickly through the bio, before we get into Ranger School and, you know, all that makes that unique and makes that just one hell of an achievement, I want to talk a little bit about you. What kind of gal were you? What kind of? How did you grow up in Connecticut? What kind of girl were you?
3: Uh, Well, I was definitely a tomboy, Um, played a lot of sports when I was a kid. Uh, I definitely wanted to be a Boy Scout when I was a kid, but um, so I think, you know, I always wanted to do outdoor stuff and uh, play football and all that. So I think the military appealed to me very, like, early on, and uh, I was kind of aware that not all the opportunities were open, but um, I was just, you know, interested to serve especially after 9-11 happened. Um, I thought as soon as I was 18, I was going to join up, and I was just hoping the infantry would open up by then.
1: Yeah, okay, so a jock in high school. Did you play competitive sports all the way through high school?
3: Um, I did track. I did cross country, and then uh, I did volleyball for a bit, and then went full year-round indoor and outdoor track. That kind of set me up for joining the Army pretty well.
1: That would definitely come in handy. Those ruck marches, uh, you know, they don't just do it for a mile and a half.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, cross country definitely helped. All right, so we go to West Point,
1: and nine uh, eleven now has happened, and you were inspired um, at an early age. Uh, do you remember nine eleven? Do you remember what you thought that day?
3: Yeah, I definitely remember nine eleven. I was twelve, um, so I was in seventh grade, and. You know, I wasn't completely aware of all the ramifications, but that was really the background of my whole adolescence was the wars, Um, you know, constant headlines and news coverage about they needing, you know, the Army needing more troops, um, extending the tours of troops over there, having them come home and turn around and go right back. And I think that really influenced me because I felt like, you know, it was just my turn to serve um, try to give them a little bit of a break. And it seemed like it was, you know, obviously the troops really on the front lines and the combat roles that needed needed some relief. Um, so that was really what motivated me. When I was 16, 17, looking at what colleges to go to, I was like, you know, I might just try to join the Army. It looked like the war was still going to be going on. It was 2007 when I joined.
1: mm. And while it's unfortunate that, yeah, the war did drag on, uh, it's brilliant that you stepped up. You went to West Point, uh, did that. Um, As I looked through your bio, I noticed, you know, you're stationed there, military police, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and then you deploy. Now, was there anything during that deployment to Afghanistan that really triggered you and said, you know what? Ranger school, Um, I want to go all the way. I want to lead the way, as the Rangers say. Rangers lead the way. Uh, Was there anything that triggered that during your deployment?
3: Um, actually, it was really before the deployment that I wanted to go. Um, I learned about it at West Point, and it was really painted as, you know, the premier leadership school in the Army. I had a mentor there who was like, if you, you know, want to get the best training possible, get the less, best leadership experience possible, you got to put yourself through Ranger School. And, of course, you know, he knew I couldn't go, but um, it was always with that mindset of do everything you can your soldiers deserve you to be as prepared as possible and i felt like i wanted that training and really that validation and confidence before i took a platoon to afghanistan you know so by the time i was on the deployment and got back it wasn't so much that i wanted to go for myself i just wanted other women to have that opportunity but they didn't have to take a you know a platoon potentially into a combat situation without having the best training that's available to them
1: Yeah, makes sense. I mean, the last thing you want is if stuff goes sideways and you have to run into a firefight, you have to bring your squad, and you've never experienced the training before or you're missing certain aspects of it. And uh, let me ask you, while you were there, did you guys ever get into firefights? Um, No. No,
3: we didn't. We were driving around, so we pulled security for an advisor team, and we were in Gardez for most of the deployment uh, just driving around to different A&A um, outposts or A&P police stations pulling security for but we were pretty fortunate to not actually be in a real combat situation.
1: But very soon after that deployment, things would change radically for Captain Grice.
3: And they basically said, you know, we're going to allow four different um, pre-ranger school classes of women from January, February, March, and April. Uh, women can attend those pre-ranger courses, 40 slots for each, and if you pass that pre-ranger course, then you get basically a ticket to ranger school in April.
1: And in our next segment, we'll hear about the grueling tests she would have to pass to become an army ranger.
3: Yeah, you kind of had to decide like, am I gonna spend any time eating food cause you're starving or am I gonna try to get 20 minutes of sleep? And I remember one time like actually, you know, falling asleep with a cracker in my mouth and I like woke up and it was still completely there. Like that was how little sleep some nights he got, like. <laughs> And just the stress of not knowing if you were going to pass. You know, that was worse. You could be going through all of that for nothing.
1: We'll continue our salute to Women's History Month with the Army Rangers who have made history when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, And I'm happy today to be sharing inspiring stories as we celebrate Women's History Month. And we get to know a couple women that are making modern day history. Now, we just previously heard from U.S. Army Captain Christian Greist, and she talked about her first deployment to Afghanistan, talked about coming up as an athletic youngster that had dreams to answer the call of 9-11. But we haven't got into ranger school with you yet, Captain, so uh, glad to have you back. And uh, let's chat now. Ranger School. Okay, we get back from this deployment to Afghanistan, and how did it all open up? There were very few applications from women for this elite combat school, right?
3: Yeah, I think it wasn't uh, too widely publicized within the Army. They put out some official messages kind of on the Army's website, and I was looking for it. I'd been looking for it since I was a cadet. So, you know, I had some people let me know, like, hey, I think it's opening up. Um, I checked the website. And they basically said, you know, we're going to allow four different um, pre-ranger school classes of women from January, February, March, and April. Uh, Women can attend those pre-ranger courses, 40 slots per each. And if you pass that pre-ranger course, then you get basically a ticket to ranger school in April. So I signed up for the first one in January of 2015. And uh, I had to do a pre-ranger course at Fort Campbell first. Um, And then once I passed that, showed up in January, five of us passed that one. And then uh, by the time we showed up in April, there was 19 of us that had qualified to to actually enter ranger school.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know the entrance class was even that big. Awesome. All right. Uh, You get into ranger school uh, from what I know from the rangers I know and from, you know, the bat boys I've talked to um, that first week actually gets rid of a lot of people because rap week you know, you can do push-ups, but like myself, I might brag about doing forty push-ups, but I'm probably doing them wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, like I have zero form. Uh, you know, I'm cheating the whole way. Uh, you make it through rap week, and then you're in Ranger School. Then you're doing combat tactics. You're 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 doing the strategies, and you're marching, and you're and you're learning land nav. Uh, what was that like? And talk to me about moments that maybe crept in the back of your mind. Did you ever want to quit?
3: Uh, so yeah so all of Ranger school I mean no I didn't I don't think I ever really wanted to quit I felt like I tried so hard to get in there for so long that I was kind of lucky to just be there every day but it was definitely miserable like <laughs> um, you know when I first uh, when we recycled the first phase twice um, that's kind of when you have an opportunity or not really an opportunity but you could potentially go home you can get kicked out of the course at that point because, you know nineteen of us showed up and then eight of us made it through that first week you're talking about and then all eight of us had to do the first phase twice because we failed the trolls So then that was really the first point where I had a had to really make a decision to consciously stay in ranger school because I was basically told I was being dropped from the course Um, and you know the brigade commander was saying you know you're a good candidate Um, definitely try out again if if the Army does this again, but, you know, you didn't pass. And at that point, I had to choose to volunteer for a day one recycle, which is when you start all over again from that that first week, which is the really physically demanding week. Um, and he was like, you know, I don't think you can physically do that again. I mean, I don't think the, the men can physically do that again after two months of ranger school. You need to be in, like, peak physical performance to pass that week. And I was like... Well, you know, I think I can, sir. I didn't really think I could, but I just felt like, okay, I got to try to do everything I can um, to stay here. And he's like, all right, I'll give you the same opportunity I give to the men. If you can do 49 push-ups right here in my office, I'll let you stay. And I still, at this point, didn't think I could do the 49 push-ups. So I was like, all right, kind of off the hook here. I tried to do everything I could. And then I was like, like, push-up 35. And I was like, yeah, I could definitely get to 49. So um, that was really... moment where i had to make the decision of like yep i'm definitely in in this again starting at day one um but yeah i just felt very grateful to have the opportunity to go i'd wanted it at this point for like eight years um so so quitting you know i felt confident that i wasn't just going to quit you know
1: (laughs) that's awesome and crazy at the same time i mean you've been going on zero to four hours asleep of sleep at night for like two weeks. And yeah. then you say, Hey man, I want to keep going. Let's go back to the zero to four hours of sleep for another two weeks. Get through this all over again,
3: man. Yeah. You kind of had to decide like, am I going to spend any time eating food? Cause you're starving or am I going to try to get 20 minutes of sleep? And I remember one time, like actually, you know, falling asleep with a cracker in my mouth and I like woke up and it was still completely there. Like that was how little sleep some nights he got. Like <laughs> um, you're just kind of stressed out constantly, emotionally, mentally and physically, and just the stress of not knowing if you were going to pass. You know, that was worse. You could be going through all of that for nothing. And I think, you know, men have that same stress as well.
1: Yeah, and in fact, I was looking at a video uh, that came out shortly after you graduated Ranger Course. And uh, suffice to say, you made it through the next benchmark. You made it through all the next evolutions. You did your land navigation. You're out there with, you know, the maps, the compass. Um, You got through all those evolutions. But getting right down to the very end, I remember a video I caught of second lieutenant, Zach Hagner saying at your graduation, he was
4: carrying the saw gun. I carried the saw for about three days and I was like, okay, well, I need somebody to take this for me. And I went to every single person, just in a line, no order. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm really tired too. I'm broken. And as soon as I went to Ranger Grice, this was on the the last day of mountain phase. She was like, it wanted it from me. She basically took it away from me. And that, so, nine guys were like, well, I'm too broken, I'm too tired. She, just as broken and tired, took it from me with like almost excitement, which I thought she was crazy for that, but maybe it was, she was just motivated and that's how she is.
3: Yeah, so a sawgun is the squad automatic weapon. So it's a machine gun and it weighs about 16 pounds versus a M4 rifle that weighs about eight pounds or so. And then you also have all the ammo that goes with the sawgun, which makes it annoying and it's just kind of cumbersome and awkward to carry. Um, But I just really was looking for opportunities to prove that I wasn't not only going to not hold the team back, but actually help the team. So any opportunity I got like that, like I said, I've spent most of my time in ranger school being extremely grateful. Um, My peers were awesome. All of them, Zach and and all my my squad, my platoon, they didn't, um, you know, they were very supportive of me the whole time. So I just wanted to contribute as much as I possibly could. I remember I wanted to carry the, you know, carry the radio in Darby. I got a chance to carry the machine gun, the uh, 240 machine gun, which is like 26 pounds, um, which doesn't sound like too much. But when you've got like an 80 or 90 pound pack on your back and you're going up mountains, that was something I didn't, I didn't think I could do. And I was like, okay, it's like day eight or so of, of this field exercise. Let me, let me volunteer to do this and see if I could. So. Um, I was just excited and eager for any of those opportunities to pull my weight, so to speak. Literally, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's talk attitude as we wrap up life advice. Do you have any uh, for anyone listening? Really anybody. Cause I think we can all find some motivation in your story.
3: Uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope this would apply to anybody, but when I was talking about what I did to get into ranger school, that kind of would be the advice I'd give people is to just constantly prepare yourself, you know, imagine, what opportunity you want to have, and just constantly be preparing and setting yourself up to take it if it's available. Um, you know, I went to West Point because, you know, I couldn't enlist in the infantry, and I knew that West Point graduates get pretty top priority for whatever whatever branch they want, and I was like, I only want infantry, so I'm gonna go there, and that kind of made that decision. And then after that, I just constantly held myself to the male fitness test standards and gave myself ranger physical fitness tests before ranger school was even open so that if it ever did open I would be, I'd be ready to drop a packet and go the next day um, and then even with going to the maneuver captain's career course I made that decision before infantry was open to women because I could kind of see the writing on the wall but it was still kind of a gamble because um, I was going to do this other program and go to civil affairs but it was kind of like hey make a decision based on you know what I would regret not doing um, versus anything I just generally wanted to do. So I was like, I'm going to regret it if I don't put myself in a position to go infantry. So that's why I went there. Um, mm. So I guess that would be my advice, if that makes sense.
1: Don't just prepare for the job you can get, but prepare for the job that you want. Awesome. Captain Christian Greist, Army Ranger, and uh, just so glad that you're out there leading the way and really appreciate getting to know you, uh, the woman behind the Ranger tab. Thank you. Now stick around as we talk leadership, jujitsu chokeholds, and why we all need to stop using labels with another female Army Ranger when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now we're going to continue to honor Women's History Month by taking a look at some of the women who have not only shattered the glass ceilings, but they've really broke the mold when it comes to women in the military. My next guest has been a U.S. Army Battalion Executive Officer, an engineering team lead supporting the Iraqi Security Forces during Operation Inherent Resolve, an engineer that's worked with major oil companies, And now in the Reserves, she's also the Brigade Executive Officer for the 420th Engineer Brigade. But among her many achievements in this officer's stellar career, one of the most noteworthy is that Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster was the first woman in the Army Reserves to graduate from the grueling U.S. Army Ranger School. But as we'll learn, Lieutenant Colonel Jaster does not want her Ranger School experience to be the only thing that defines her. And she certainly doesn't want to be just an adjective. So it's my honor to say welcome to Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, it's an honor to be here. Now, I know we led with Ranger School and that proud achievement, but uh, you are so much more than that. And I promise you, we're going to get into that. But uh, can we first talk about how you almost never became a Ranger? In fact, when you get the call from a Sergeant Major saying, hey, there's a slot open and we're thinking about you going, uh, you were kind of like, hey.
2: My response was, hell no, Sergeant Major. I- I'm too old for this.
1: <laughs> my Sergeant
2: Major at the time, Sergeant Major Robbie Payne, was, um, sent me an email. And my exact response is, Sergeant Major, I like room service. <laughs> and he, he and I kind of went back and forth on it just briefly and I was cooking dinner and talking to my husband. He's like, hmm. He just sat down on his phone and started looking up the requirements. My husband's like, baby, you could do this. Like, there's no way. There, there's plenty of young girls out there that are trying to make their mark in the world. Let them chase this. And then it dropped. Well, at some point in time between that dinner and the next evening's dinner, Sergeant Major had called my husband or written him or contacted him somehow. And my husband at dinner kind of cornered me and said, you know, what if you don't do it and nobody else does? And you're sitting here right now knowing in your heart of hearts that you could graduate ranger school. How would that feel? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, again, my kids are at the table with me. <laughs> oh, no. And then and then the, the kind of the nail in the coffin, though, is at that time in my signature block, I actually had an Einstein quote about, a uh, ship is safest at the shore, but that's not what it was built for. And he threw that at me and kind of said, "Hey, baby, you were built for this." And and something clicked, and I decided to you know take it to Facebook to see you know every good decision making ends in a Facebook discussion. Of course, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so I took it to Facebook and said, "Hey, you know, if you're my friend, you'll support me through this." And again, that that one thing that that secured it in my brain that I needed to go was one of our close family friends said, hey, you shouldn't do this because you're a mom now. And right now, the most important thing in your life is those children. And it's very selfish of you to go. And I remember thinking, God, I've got to go because of that statement. Because dads should have the opportunity to feel the same way that moms do. Like nobody would ever go on my husband's Facebook page and say, hey, you shouldn't do military training because you have children. And and I just thought, God, you know, that's exactly why I do
1: need to go. Now, let's uh, move into a little bit of the ranger training. Now, I know just from having friends, uh, you know, that are rangers. I mean, it is one of the elite schools in the military. I mean, we have all heard about the push-ups and the pull-ups. And uh, we, right. we know about the sleep deprivation. You know, zero to four hours of sleep in a day. And you have to do all these things. But one of the stories I found and I heard about your time in ranger school was... It's just brilliant. And it's in this video you have. <laughs> yes. And, and along the way, after you got through Rap week and you physically qualified and you and this younger ranger candidate were talking and he was kind of hinting that it's okay for you to quit. Pick up from there and tell yeah. me about that relationship.
2: You know, he's he was actually um, a, a bat boy. So he was a ranger battalion member uh, who had yet to go through ranger school. And, you know, he just, kind of kept saying, you know, this this is really hard. A lot of people can't do this. And part of the conversation that I had had is, um, you know, you got your smart Rangers and your strong Rangers is something that a lot of people say. And in that process, one of the things as a major in the army reserve, the last time I had done small unit tactics and shoot, move, communicate at a squad level probably was when I was a cadet at West Point in the late nineties. And this stuff we were saying is jokes but some of it too is of course to demonstrate your weaknesses well in his mind that was his whole world so he thought well somebody who doesn't live and breathe in squad level tactics on how to be a gunner couldn't possibly pass ranger school and yeah so he he kind of kept pushing me you know hey this isn't for everyone and later on throughout the cycle i ended up having to help him write his operations order because as a junior soldier he had never even seen the the five paragraph operations order and and he looked back at me he goes i i wouldn't have graduated without you i'd share a foxhole with you any day was his kind of final sentiment sentiment to me and that was that was a pretty big deal for a 19, 20-year-old to say that to somebody. But, yeah, he was the one I had to stop in his tracks and be like, hey, buddy, my <laughs> duffel bags have more military experience than you do.
1: <laughs> so you graduate, history is made, female ranger, U.S. Army Reserve officer, ranger. Uh, but that's really where you're just getting started. And, in fact, now as an officer with some senior rank, leadership is going to be one of the biggest things that you demonstrate and you have to use. Talk to me about your thoughts on leadership and uh, specifically the three C's that you've kind of invented.
2: One of my tenants, even since I was a young cadet at West Point, was um, consistent leadership. There is nothing that's more frustrating than having your boss walk away and you're really not sure which direction they're pointing. But if you have somebody who's consistent, then even in their absence, you can follow their guidance because you've got a feel for it. You might be slightly wrong, but you'll be a degree off, not completely directional. You'll, you won't go south when they wanted you to go north. So I think consistency is probably one of the most critical tenets of leadership. Of course, I always talk about competency as well. Um, as an engineer officer, there is no way for me to know all of the engineer disciplines. The secondary mission of an engineer is to fight his infantry. There's no way I can be proficient at every single task, weapon system, vehicle that my soldiers are going to operate. I'm taking, I'm taking battalion command in two months and I'm looking at the equipment. None of it even looks like what uh, I once was licensed on when I was a young lieutenant almost 20 years ago. So how do I cover down on competency? And that's really knowing who's smart, knowing who I can grab and knowing enough to leverage my equipment and personnel at the right times in the right places.
1: Now, if I can jump in, the third C is something that speaks to my heart because it's essential for my job. Tell me about the third C.
2: I often think of the parent who tells their child, do it because I told you so or because I said so that doesn't drive long-term good behaviors. There's, there's a lot to be said about really communicating thoroughly the whys, but also communicating in a way that your audience can hear you. It wasn't really prevalent to me when I was in the Army, especially in a combat-heavy engineer battalion, because all my soldiers were gung-ho, hard chargers, alphas. They were out there because they really wanted to do Soldiering stuff. But when I left the active duty military world and I have a five year break in service, I joined Shell Oil and now I work for an engineering company called MS Engineering. And I don't have all type A personalities anymore. And I found that I would walk in somebody's office and say, Hey, I need this by that deadline. And that was not an effective form of communication. I actually had somebody say to me in response, Oh, well, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? And I thought, Well, I mean, I said, how were you this morning when I saw you? I I thought we were past that. And I I realized very quickly that that individual person needed at least one or two personal phrases to be able to talk about work and hear what I was saying. And I found out that every every office I walked into had a different form of communication, and it made me a much better reserve officer and helped me a ton in ranger school to be able to identify how that person on the receiving end needs to hear me.
1: Now we'll take a quick break, but when we return, we'll hear more from Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster about what it means to be one of the first female Army Rangers. And we'll also hear why qualifying everything with an adjective is the last thing she wants to hear. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now we'll jump back into our interview with one of the first women ever to become a U.S. Army Ranger, and that's Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster. In this segment, we'll continue to learn some lessons in leadership and also why we shouldn't be so quick to put labels on each other. You once said that uh, I used to try to silo both aspects of who I am, but found that so much bleeds over from one job to the other that I need those lines to be fluid Talk to me about the fluidity that needs to exist between military disciplines, military jobs, your civilian jobs, and being a mom.
2: Well, obviously, I think I've learned and matured a ton by being a parent, just by uh, the communication discussion, is understanding that not everybody just takes orders. Um, I think part of it, too, though, is understanding that the person on the other side is of any conversation when you're a leader also has some baggage, and as a young lieutenant, especially, um, I had the, the honor and privilege and also the, the task of deploying both to Afghanistan and Iraq right during the initial deployments, I was a young lieutenant. I had nothing at home. Um, I had, you know, a loving family, parents, brothers, sisters, et cetera, but I didn't have children or a spouse so leaving was easy and we were going to fight America's wars and go kill bad guys or, you know, however you give that speech to yourself when you're in your twenties. And I didn't understand my soldiers who were doubting whether or not they should deploy. I didn't, I didn't gather that. And I had, I had these perfect silos and then I married a fellow service member who also understood the importance of service. So he, he didn't pull on me like a lot of other spouses do. He, he, to this day, will say when it's my time to go training, hey, it's time to leave Lisa at home and, and go be Lieutenant Colonel Jaster, which makes life super easy for me. But not everybody can do that. So, again, to be able to speak the way my audience needs to hear me, I need to understand that, those blurry lines. But then I also found that I could connect with people a lot better If I did blur those lines, I'm also more efficient. My children don't disappear from 0800 to 1700 every day. They still exist. So if I'm going to address family issues during the day, I have to be able to address work issues at night. I've found that being able to pull one into the other has helped me understand the people around me, but it has also helped me be more efficient and more fluid and my kids understand what's going on. Our children are have no idea that some of the things we do are weird, that physical fitness being part of every day, you know, that's, that's important to me for whatever reason it's important to me, but it's also important to my military job. My kids don't know that um, most children get woken up in the morning and told to do pull-ups before they eat breakfast.
1: That's awesome. And again, you do it with all three of the C's, too. You communicate that. You allow for communication about personal life during work hours and work life during personal hours, and you're consistent about it uh, with the kids and with your colleagues. I mean, that is vital. Uh, The last thing is something that I started to talk to you with off the mic here, and I found it really powerful. But you have a hashtag. Uh, It's called hashtag delete the adjective. And what I thought might just be something uh, for a woman. When I saw your video and you said something about looking good for your age, and I thought, you know what? That's true for a man or a woman. We don't Mm -hmm. just want to look good for our age. We don't just want a qualifier before something. We don't just want to be an adjective. Expand on that for me because I thought it was powerful for both women and for men to hear.
2: So a lot of the negative feedback I get about delete the adjective is it comes off sounding like I don't want to celebrate differences. And I do think it's great. It's great to be the first anything to do something, the first woman, the first reservist, the first African-American. Those things are great and they should be celebrated, but it shouldn't define you. Because what I found personally, and this was when I was very young, this was, middle school time when people would say oh you're strong for a girl it it's it's one of those things for whatever reason it was a burr under my saddle at 12 and at 32 at 42 it's still a burr under my saddle i don't want to be strong for a woman i what i hear when somebody says you're strong for a woman is but you're weak in comparison to the other 50 percent of the population and and i've always thought especially in the military that by looking at making a woman's standard or a male standard or comparing me, again, specifically in the military and saying you're strong for a woman, that puts me in a category where I can't compete against males. Well, I would never pick a doctor and say, ooh, I want her to work for me because she's smart for a woman. And because physical fitness and strength is part of our job in the military, I didn't want to be qualified that way. I just wanted to be capable and competent and able to do my job and have people respect me for being able to do my job. And again, I found it very undermining to be segregated out. And the other thing with that is I want, uh, especially with regards to age, I don't want to age out of the program. I want to stay relevant. Um, my entire family does Brazilian jujitsu. I was the, I was the last who really joined. Um, and it was, again, I blame my husband for a lot of stuff and I'm going to blame him for this too. (laughs) He, he brought me into it because at the time I had started doing CrossFit and I was locally, I was very competitive, not on a big stage at all, but I started to feel the age difference. And part of it was, By the time you have two children, by the time you have a a, a real job, I can't spend six hours in the gym every day training for competitions. So some of it might have been age, but, um, you know, a lot of it is just the life you have in your 30s versus the life you have in your 20s. And he pulled me into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and started talking to me about the benefits of it because it's a very technical sport. So you you can be good even though you're the oldest, smallest female in the room because it's a skill set. So, again, it becomes this activity where I'm not good for my age. Every once in a while, I'm just good. And it's a physical sport. It's a mental sport. It's, a, it's knowledge-based. It's playing chess with your, your physical prowess. So, you know, jiu-jitsu is one of those things that has helped me with the delete the adjective. Yes, if I have a 20-year-old uh, college wrestler who's 180 pounds come in, he's probably going to crush me. But every once in a while, I can slip my arm around his neck and choke him because I've learned, I've grown. I've—it's not just age-based or gender-based. It's—it's kind of a a little bit more. Um, the adjectives get deleted. It's a, a little more of an equalizer. So I don't want to be just put in some sort of category based on my physique or or based on kind of don't judge a book by its cover.
1: And with that. Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster gives us the perfect words to summarize our salute to Women's History Month. Now, if you want to hear more of CBSI on Veterans, you'll find every episode online at ConnectingVets.com. Just search the main menu for the audio section. You can also follow me on Twitter at PhilBriggsVet. And if you've got a story idea or a veteran that you think needs to be showcased, feel free to email me phil at ConnectingVets.com. Now, in the meantime, I'll be on the lookout for incredible veterans and great stories to tell every weekend right here on CBS ION on Veterans.
0: ION on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu.